Welcome to Crossview Radio, weekly podcast for Wayne County. I'm John Marino, pastor of Crossview Church in Orville. We exist to glorify God by exalting Christ and magnifying the gospel for the joy of all nations. So we spent the last couple of podcasts uh, developing a uh, theology of marriage. And in part one, we saw uh, what marriage uh, is not in light of our current culture. And then on part two, we saw... Uh, what marriage is in light of Scripture, uh, namely uh, a representation of the gospel itself, uh, a picture or an advertisement for the gospel. Uh, It's important to remember that with any area of Christian sanctification, uh, we cannot properly understand how we are to act until we understand how we are to think. And that's why we are intentional about not bypassing the indicatives of Scripture, uh, who we are in Christ, in other words, Uh, and the meaning of marriage are foundational for having a successful marriage. And of course, uh, as you know, uh, this is how Paul uh, structures his epistles. You know, the first half of Ephesians, for example, is all of the the indicatives where he's saying, this is who you are in Christ, Uh, Christ has uh, redeemed you and, and, and chosen you, and all these kinds of things. And then the second half of the book is where he begins to tell the imperatives based on uh, who you are in Christ and based on who God is, therefore go and act this way. And so it's the same thing here. Uh, If we're going to understand the how-tos, then we have to understand, you know, the the theology behind it. Uh, And so I do want to get to that a little bit today, uh, the the practical side. Um, And what I want to do is I want to uh, really ask ourselves a question, well, in light of all these things we've learned, uh, what does marriage look like? Uh, And of course, you know, we recognize that endless books have been written on the subject, and so we're going to discuss it briefly today. Uh, Many more things obviously could be said than than, uh, we'll say today, but I just want to narrow it down just to a few things. And I want to preserve a little bit of continuity between this week and last week because we talked about how marriage is a picture of the gospel, and so... In all of the things we're going to look at today, we're really going to look at it centered around that idea. So to to give you an example of what I mean, the first one that we'll see is this. Marriage models the gospel through regular confession, repentance, and forgiveness. So we're going to talk about um, the connection with the gospel, but we're also going to talk about uh, the specifics of the confession, repentance, and forgiveness, and so on and so forth as we we go on. So so this is the first one. This really presupposes that something else will be happening regularly in the marriage relationship, and that's sin. Uh, So while the same thing happens regularly in the relationship with Jesus and the church, it's only one-sided there. Jesus never sins, okay? Uh, In marriage, both spouses sin. In the gospel... We, uh, we, we sin, we confess, we repent, Jesus forgives, okay? And in marriage, both spouses sin against each other, and therefore both need to repent and offer forgiveness. And once again, there's overlap here in the Christian life in general. So if you're listening to this, and maybe you're not married, uh, this certainly does apply to you as well, because uh, marriage pictures something that you should be doing too. You should be seeking out forgiveness, from others. You should be repenting, uh, and so on and so forth. There is overlap in the Christian life. Um, Not only do do married spouses need to reconcile their broken relationships, Christians in general need to reconcile their broken relationships. 
And so marriage functions as a model for Christianity. Uh, part of living in a, reg- in a fallen world is that we will uh, just continually sin against each other. The mark of a true Christian marriage, or the mark of a true church for that matter, is not the absence of sin, but the way of dealing with that sin which is distinct from the world. No marriage is free from sin and conflict. Relationships are broken, but they also have a hope uh, of being restored. And so let me give you one example in 1 Peter 3, 7. Uh, we learn how a husband's treatment of his wife has implications for his fellowship with God. Uh, Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. The idea here is that a husband's prayers are hindered if he fails to seek to understand his wife or he fails to honor her. How does a husband go about resolving this? Through confession, repentance, uh, and forgiveness, of course. Uh, We are to keep short accounts with our spouses in order that the glory and majesty of Christ revealed through the gospel might shine forth through our marriages to a world that's lost and really uh, a world that's headed for hell. So that's the first one. Second one we're going to look at today is this. Marriage models the gospel through humble, uh, loving leadership. Um, Marriage is a picture of the way in which Jesus shepherds the church. And so keeping marriage tethered to Christ is essential here because if we don't, marriage falls apart and the husband either becomes a tyrant or he becomes passive in, our, in, in his leadership. How does Jesus lead? Uh, Philippians chapter 2, verses uh, 5 through 8, "...have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped." but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by being obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. So you've got the humility of Jesus demonstrated in Philippians 2. We are told to have this mind also. In other words, we're to be like Christ in that area. Now the question is, how does this translate into marriage? And Ephesians 5.25 answers that question for us. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. The idea here is that just like Jesus gave himself up through death, the husband, in Ephesians 5.25, needs to be willing to give himself up for his wife. The husband is not only to provide for his wife, but he's also to protect his wife. And of course, uh, as we continue our theme here, the gospel is closely connected to this. Husbands protect and provide and lead because Jesus protects and provides and leads. Uh, Note the command for the leadership by the husband in Ephesians 5.23, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. Uh, What I'd like to do then is take this idea of leadership. We're actually going to talk about it in the next point a little bit here because there's a lot of overlap in these two categories. And so the next one would be marriage models the gospel through humble submission. And I want to read uh, that Ephesians 5.23 again, but we'll read it in a little bit broader context. We'll do verses 22 through 24. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. So you've got uh, the the leadership of the husband, which models 
the gospel. You've got the submission of the wife, which models the gospel. And our culture has a, a tendency to chafe at these roles given to us in Scripture. Uh, and we, we do have to acknowledge that these roles have been abused. Um, husbands have, have been tyrants. Uh, you know, husbands have been passive in their leadership. Um, you know, wives have, have, have rejected the roles that they've been called to just as much as husbands have. And, and so you've got all this sin that's thrown in here. Uh, but we have to be careful in differentiating between truth and uh, abuse. And if we're not careful in that regard, we're likely to make another error, namely the rejection of God's roles for husband and wife. So we can't say that because uh, something good has been abused, then we should get rid of the good thing. Uh, we should be very careful to clearly uh, extract and understand our theology of marriage from Scripture and to apply it in a right way instead of uh, abusing those roles. Uh, submission is different from subjection. Uh, the submission of a wife is not the same thing as subjection by the husband. Uh, the husband, again, is not a tyrant who gets to abuse the role God has given to him to shepherd the heart of his, ch- his children and his wife. And that's what the husband is supposed to do. And if just going back to what we saw a few moments ago in the Ephesians 5 and even Philippians 2, uh, passage is that demonstrates to us the kind of leadership that Jesus has. Jesus has a humble uh, servant leadership, and that's what the husband in marriage is supposed to have as well, this humble servant uh, leadership. The connection uh, that we have here to the gospel should be fairly clear, but uh, the reality that just like Jesus is the head of the church, the husband is the head of the wife. And, and so the husband leads sacrificially, he leads lovingly, he leads after the pattern of Christ. The husband does not come home at the end of the day and expect to sit in the rocker and be served. Uh, he is to be actively serving his family, just like Jesus serves the church through his sacrificial death. Um, you know, I heard one time uh, one individual say, you know, the, your home is not your crash pad, um, you know, it's not your castle. Uh, your home is a greenhouse for nurturing spiritual plants. And the husband is not to get home at the end of the day, you know, kick his feet up and expect that his wife serves him. The husband is to lead lovingly, to lead sacrificially, and to pattern his leadership after Jesus in the way that he serves uh, the church as well. It's a different kind of leadership than the world is accustomed to. Uh, What I'd like to do is I'd like to look again at that verse we saw just a minute ago, and that was 1 Peter 3, 7, but I want to focus in on a different aspect of it. It says this, Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life. And of course, then the end, so that your prayers may not be hindered. But that phrase, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, if anything, Christianity elevates the role of women and wives uh, in the culture um, in, uh, in that day. What Peter notes here is significant. He says that the husband is to honor the wife for a particular reason. That reason is because they are fellow heirs of the gospel. Here's the point. The difference between husbands and wives, and by the way, our culture doesn't even want there to be a difference between male and female anymore. Uh, differences are good 
and they're given to us by God. The difference between husbands and wives is not a difference of status or worth or significance. So, uh, you know, traditionally, this has been abused, these roles, where the husband is thought to be more important um, and the wife is is this doormat. Um, Peter is very clear to make make the point that that's not true because the reason that husbands are to be are to show honor to their wives is because they are also heirs with you of the grace of life. They have value too. And so you can't think that only uh, a man has value, the husband and wife have uh, both value because both are redeemable by the grace of God. So the difference is not a difference of status or worth of sin- or significance. It's a difference in roles. Now, our culture wants to do away with, again, gender, but our culture also wants to do away with the distinction in roles. And that, of course, is an attack on uh, the way that God has ordered the family, the way that God has created the genders, the way that God has created the differences that he has created for his glory and for our good. And really the same is true in the Trinity. We have to remember that as well. God the Son has different roles than, than the Holy Spirit and the Father, but none of them have less or, or more value. They all have uh, value. Uh, men and women are made in the image of God. Uh, it's just that God has, in his goodness, given to us a good gift of the family unit, and this is how he has said that it's to be structured. When done biblically and not for self-service, headship and submission is a good thing that, that, that reflects not only the gospel, but the relationship that exists in the Trinity, and thus it serves as a model and advertisement of the goodness of God. And so you've got headship, you've got submission, and uh, the, uh, the next point here is that marriage models the gospel through lifelong commitment. Uh, God hates divorce. Jesus tells us in Mark 10 that Moses permitted divorce because of the hard hearts of the people. Divorce is not God's plan. The only two biblical reasons for divorce is one for sexual immorality, or secondly, because you've been abandoned. Uh, essentially, you've been divorced by the other uh, person. That's it. So strict are these regulations of divorce that uh, the disciples said it's better not to marry. Now, rather than being something negative, this should be something positive. You know, we get to remain committed to one another for a lifetime. If you have a marital conflict, you're to resolve it just like we saw, you know, a few moments ago. Uh, and this is all grounded in the creation narrative. Genesis chapter 2, 23 through 24. Then the man said, This is at last bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. Uh, It's because of this that Jesus says in Mark 10, But from the beginning of creation God made them male and female. Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. And then here's the application for this, this point. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. So Jesus goes to the creation narrative, and he says, based on this, you should never get a divorce. John Calvin says that someone who gets a divorce 
tears himself in pieces. Uh, That isn't to say that God doesn't give grace to those who have sinned in this way. He does. Um, And and I I did preach, by the way, a sermon on this passage in Mark uh, back on August uh, 26, um, just entitled Marriage. And um, if, if you would like to you know, look a little bit more into that. I encourage you to go back and listen to that message. Um, and I talk a little bit more about the idea of grace uh, available for those who have uh, gone through a divorce and um, how you can still respond in, in obedience to what God's called you to do, um, even uh, by embracing His grace. So, uh, but again, remember in each of these points, we're drawing a connection between divorce or between. Uh, this particular item in the gospel. So for this one, uh, the connection between this commitment in marriage, uh, the negative side, divorce, what's the connection between that and the gospel? Revelation 19 uh, says this in verses 6 through 9. Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters and like the sound of mighty pearls of thunder, crying out, Hallelujah! For the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and exult and give him the glory. For the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure. For the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. And the angel said to me, Write this, Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, These are the true words of God. What is the hope here? Here's the hope, and here's the connection to the gospel. Jesus never divorces the church. Jesus never divorces his bride. And in the same way, a marriage which reflects that reality accurately will remain committed uh, to to one another. Last one here that I'd like to look at is uh, marriage models the gospel through intimate joy. Uh, Ephesians 5, 28 through 29. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church. What Paul does is he says that the husband and wife are so close to one another that looking out for your joy and looking out for her joy are intertwined together. You treat her like you treat yourself. And so your pursuit of joy is also her pursuit of joy and vice versa. When we talk about joy in marriage, we are talking about the joy in sexual intimacy, but we're also talking about more than that. Um, you know, there's an emotional, a spiritual intimacy that you share in addition to the physical intimacy. Um, specifically, Proverbs does say in the sexual context, uh, reminds us to be intoxicated always in her love, it says. There's a tremendous joy in marriage. But God has not called all of us to marriage. And so, you know, you wonder, well, how can I experience these things? Well, what, how does this apply to me? Um, you know, I want to I be careful in talking about marriage that we don't somehow elevate marriage to the ideal status of the Christian and somehow everyone who's not married is lesser status. There, there, is, uh, there is that temptation to classify marriage in that way. And we have to remember that God has, uh, has not called everyone to marriage, and that's okay. God gives us uh, joy in Him that, can't even, that, that is not even comparable, um, is, is so, so beyond the joy that we're able to have uh, in, in marriage. 
I told you last time that our temptation is to substitute the original for the photocopy. Uh, and for those of you who uh, perhaps have not been called to marriage, God can give you more joy than any marriage can. Marriage is just a picture. It's just a photograph. It's temporary. Um, it's representing something better than itself. And for the married, those of you who are married, remember the same thing, that God gives more joy than any marriage can. Jonathan Edwards writes this, and I, hopefully this will be encouragement to, to all of us, married and unmarried alike. Jonathan Edwards writes this, Then the church shall be brought to the full enjoyment of her bridegroom, having all tears wiped away from her eyes, and there shall be no more distance or absence. She shall then be brought to the entertainments of an eternal wedding feast and to dwell forever with her bridegroom, yea, to dwell eternally in his embraces. Then Christ will give her his loves, and she shall drink her fill, yea, she shall swim in the ocean of his love. This is for the married and the unmarried alike. For all who are in Christ, rejoice in the joy which is available in Christ better than any marriage could ever be. Thanks for listening to Crossview Radio. I'm John Marino, pastor of Crossview Church in Orville. We meet Sundays at 10 a.m. at the Orville YMCA. To find out more about Crossview Church, visit us online at crossvieworville.com.